You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany. And welcome back to The Social Workers here on WCDB Albany. My name is Eric Hardiman, and I'm here with Alyssa Lotmore. Welcome back to The Social Workers, Alyssa. Hey, Eric. It's good to be back. New semester. New semester, good sunny weather. We're starting off right, and we have uh, a great semester lined up. Is that right? We do, and especially for the social workers, because we have several alums lined up to come on this semester, as well as our other shows. But I always like to have our alumni come on to share their experience and their expertise. And our kickoff show today is with one of our alums and also somebody who's been connected with the school social welfare in the teaching capacity too, as a research assistant and instructor. So do you wanna show talk about who our guest is today? Absolutely, let's jump right in. So today on The Social Workers, we have with us via Zoom, we have Ali Middleton. Ali is a published author, long-term yoga and meditation practitioner, experienced social impact artist, and leadership mentor. She's served in leadership positions in business, nonprofit, and government settings. Her specialty is curating consciousness awareness-based practices in teams who flourish together and create well-being and innovative, sustainable outcomes. A recipient of awards for both excellence and diversity, Ali implemented a yoga-based program while clinical and rehabilitation director at a community mental health organization in New York State. She continues to offer embodiment training to individuals living and working with disabilities. Ali completed all of her doctoral level coursework here at the University of Albany and serves as an adjunct graduate level faculty member, research assistant, and peer reviewer at the School of Social Welfare. Her interest in leadership and organizational development for social change is documented in her most recent commissioned book entitled Yoga Radicals, a curated set of inspiring stories from the field. Ali is a long-term member of the Presencing Institute community, a global awareness-based action research learning organization. She's a yoga therapy training faculty in an IAYT accredited program, and an advanced practice practitioner of social presencing theater. What a bio. That's uh, really remarkable, Allie. And you know, before we get into that bio and all of, all of the successes and achievements it indicates, uh, I just want to welcome you to The Social Workers. We're glad to have you here with us. Well, thank you so much, Eric. All those words in the bio seem to be a long lost story now that things are changing so much. And thank you, Alyssa. I'm looking forward to uh, having a fun and productive conversation today. Well, let's just start off because you have a connection to the School of Social Welfare. You are a student, a research assistant, an instructor. So let's just begin with what even led you to the profession. Yeah, so when I when I tell this story, it's it's a little bit of a self-disclosure about my interest in wilderness training, because when I was doing nature-based training for corporate executives as a member of a small training organization back in the late 80s, early 90s, one day I was out in the field with two executives putting them through what are called adventure-based trainings which often means that you're blindfolded and you have 
both social and emotional learning challenges. And they're put there on purpose. Well, one of these individuals uh, apparently had not resourced his, um, his, his, his better self, let's just name it. And uh, he began to demonstrate behaviors in the field that I didn't understand. And I said, well, what is this? Uh, irrational thinking, bizarre behaviors. And I guess it was my first experience of a psychotic break. And okay. there we were in the wilderness and I was not at all trained in clinical work. So I said to my partners, I've got a lot of training and resources, but this I do not know about. So I better get myself some, some education. So that was what brought me, what I say, up the river from the Mid-Hudson Valley into Albany. And I entered the social work uh, program in order to get a clinical knowledge as well as to gain capacity to better serve my business clients. Hmm. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting journey into the profession. I mean, coming from the business world and then having that experience out in the, you know, the outdoors, I guess, if you will, and realizing, um, you know, that there's, there's an interest area for you and learning more and then finding out about social work. So what was it like as you entered the, not just the School of Social Welfare, but when you were acclimated to the social work profession and, and started to realize what social work was all about, what was that like for you? So as a, a mid-career social work student uh, doing a second degree, and I already had a, an earlier advanced degree, landing in social work education at the university here in Albany was a major wake up. And I began to understand the differences in the trainings and experiences that I had had that related to innovation and entrepreneurship primarily. That was the sector that I was working in. And when I encountered the social work education program, I knew that I had a goal in mind, but the process of going through the MSW and then doing all the uh, doctoral work, um, I, I remember feeling frustrated, frankly, even mm -hmm. though I knew I needed to learn practice theory, research uh, capacity, that there was a social system that I was interested in being part of a change maker in that at that stage, remember this was the late nineties, hadn't yet integrated some of the more advanced leadership material that I had already been in practice with. Okay. So my coping strategy was to take um, a deep dive into psychosynthesis and get some more body based training while I was doing my head based training as well. So, so that's interesting. I mean, that, that, that suggests that there's a, um, you know, in, in your process, in your educational journey, there's this at, at some point, and I'm, I'm maybe making a leap from what you said, but there was this separation between body and mind, between what you're learning academically in school and sort of the, the more physical embodied, um, side of yourself and and kind of how those two uh, were split and then maybe integrated. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit. How did that happen? Well, you know, Eric, as we were chatting earlier, and I want to bring in this identity issue that so oh. many people might be struggling with now that um, we've had the, um, the details of what is social distancing and the impact of social isolation. 
how different is that really than the separation between thinking, feeling, and sensing? And so this way in which education is designed these days frequently takes away embodiment or somatic intelligence from the way people integrate a full perspective of how we know what we know. So my journey uh, into social work education was all about social impact, because remember, I was a leader already inside organizations trying to make new changes. And guess what? There were people who needed to shift their behaviors to make that change. So it wasn't about thinking about things together. It was actually about sharing our being. And so being a human being rather than a human doing began to create a laboratory for new language and new practices in the way in which I both learned from the, my social work education and from teaching, but also by continuously um, pressing against the envelope, I guess I would say, as a person who was always curious, pressing up against the envelope, asking questions, maybe getting into a little trouble because I articulated things differently. Um, but but that's, that's how it was for me. And um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a separation. It's just a perception that there's a separation between mind and body. And that as we come into a more unified field of understanding, there's a lot going on there, that together we can create a new consciousness just by the way we ask questions of each other. And um, to, to be in the field as things change together and to be expected to be surprised. Interesting. The, the idea of surprise is, is an important one. I mean, the, the social work field itself is so fluid and constantly dynamic and changing and responding to uh, the social situation and the political situation and the cultural moment and, and also learning as we go. And, you know, I, I like to think of it as a profession and a discipline that is that is not static, that doesn't have one body of knowledge that, that remains the same, but that is constantly evolving. And I, I, I hear in your words, um, the mark of someone who realizes that and who recognizes that knowledge is fluid and that, that we're constantly evolving and shifting. And, and even our own personal and professional identities may be shifting as well during that process. Um, so, so I want to talk about your work a little bit um, after you got your, your MSW degree. Um, you had done some, I, I believe, mobile crisis work, is it, in mental health? And then you were, did some work down in New York City after 9-11. You know, we've just a few days ago passed the 20-year memorial, and there's been a lot of attention in the media about this uh, incredibly significant um, moment in our national history and collective consciousness. And, and so I guess I, you know, would ask you, put you on the spot a little bit, ask you to reflect a little on your experiences after 9-11 and sort of now 20 years later, looking back, what, what, what has that been like for you and how has that shaped you? You know, this is a time for everyone to understand the impact of personal trauma as well as collective trauma, Eric. And when we do establish what in consciousness research and in meditation and mind-body practices, what are just conveniently called different capacities to shift our tension, right? To shift the place of our awareness. 
for me, uh, coming out of a business career and landing my very first job out of social work school, still in teaching and still doing the PhD coursework in Albany County Mobile Crisis Team and not knowing the city at all. And I was on the evening shift going to school in the mornings and then going to work at three. And this whole quality of the unexpected or being prepared to be surprised requires a little bit of spacious awareness because otherwise you're gonna default into some kind of stress reaction, it would seem to me. So thank goodness for the benefit of the team environment at the Albany County Mobile Crisis Team. They're still there. If you go visit, say hello from Allie. <laughs> and when I got deployed, the whole team was invited to go down to do the uh, mental health first responder work by FEMA. And in reflection of those years of very surprising new learning as an adult learner, and then being gifted with the opportunity to practice in the field in very unusual environments, and I continue to, that I began to realize that what brought me alive, what brought me into my highest level of creativity and capacity was to be in difficult situations because somehow that was what I was trained to do. Mm -hmm. And social work helped that way because of these ecological models, Eric, that the ways in which we saw the macro and the micro interacting in that fluid way, the way that you spoke about, got very much imprinted in me somatically. And so it was no different than being in the wilderness with these corporate folks decompensating because they couldn't handle the stress. But there I was in my hometown, New York City, um, watching, um, and listening to people really in disbelief about what was happening around them. And so my reflections around the anniversary and what else is going on in our social system now due to the ways in which um, the ecological disaster has really hit us, yeah. that as a species, we can actually ground much more creatively in the way that we help each other address new challenges. And I would say that as the mirror of anybody's capacity to move through change in a graceful way, that we have to trust that we all actually have within us something that will help. And that keeps us open, connected and present rather than judging or fearful or cynic, cynical. So that's the switch of the mind-body practices where one is able to actually perceive in the moment, huh, is this gonna be a really productive way of thinking or feeling or sensing about this? Or how might I shift my perceptual state to be more resourced? And that um, continues to land in both my work in behavioral health systems change, but also in leadership development because it's not that different. It's not that different now within organizational settings or in what we call mental health settings. Everybody's seeking well-being and how might we blend these concepts a little bit more impactfully. And you know, what does social work have to do with it? Is everything to do with it? Social change is what's happening on the planet. More people should go to social work school. I got so much out of it. <laughs> we we like to hear that that's uh, it's really great to hear yeah Alyssa 
No, no, you were in the classroom. You taught human behavior in the social environment, and you would speak about the ecological model. And how can students connect the classroom with their internships and practice experience using that model? Like, how could they use that model to translate that into real-life experiences that have a social impact? Thank you for that. So great, great to remember that it begins with me. And anybody who's thinking about social work school, get prepared when you learn the DSM that you're going to wonder who you are. And one of the things that I used to laugh about when I was teaching human behavior was, so what do you have on your bedside table that really captures your interest? And bring that in and let's hear what it is that actually is your heart's desire. So when I began to combine this kind of playful approach to what's really happening, even though we have to learn these protocols and these methodologies, et cetera, et cetera, that our shared human experience is what really matters. And um, from the perspective of shifting that learning into an internship experience, what I ended up finding, and this did take some work because it meant being able to formulate a good request. And one of the strategies in really good communications training is to know in fact, what will help you stay alive and awake while you're engaged in your practice, not just take an internship because it might look good on the resume. And so I'll go back to what I said. I knew that I liked to get into the streets. That's why I was a mobile crisis clinician and into the thick of what is social work all about. And it actually enabled me to grow a little bit more explicitly on those areas that I needed to improve upon. And thank goodness for good supervision because I could not have done it without the supervision that I had going through social work school because the models were so different from where I had come from. Mm -hmm. um, and I got teased a lot about, what are you talking all this spiritual stuff and all this mind body stuff? I said, well, it's kind of who I am. Do you have any of that too? And so we began to have different conversations um, in these new environments and it began to get to be a lot of fun, which was one of my criteria and increasing part of my criteria as I age. And when you, when you, you know, you mentioned the mind, body, spirit piece there uh, and in terms of not just social work education, but maybe in terms of the larger culture in which we live, what, what are some of the changes that you've seen in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so? Um, is there more acceptance and awareness and understanding of these types of approaches, both in social work and external to social work? How have you seen it change? Yeah, well, I hear you pointing to what is innovation, Eric, and, and how might we as individuals or emerging leaders having had a social work education begin to push the envelope, right? So what's interesting is, is numero uno. And the, the work in action research and uh, the work of the Presencing Institute, an awareness-based change-making organization that has used a, um, a very global education initiative to help people understand that the mind and the heart and the body are not separately functioning. And that as individuals, we learn to integrate those functions through a variety of practices and support, right? That's what we do in social work. But more explicitly, 
in social systems change, this work of presencing, which is to be present while we're sensing in, not only to our own mindfulness of the body, but also to the ecosystem around us. And so that's quite on point, it feels like to me, to the ecological models that we're trained in in social work. There's the me part, there's the team, the organization, the community, and then there are the larger social systems, those environmental issues that frequently, particularly in high levels of change and the turbulence that we have on the planet now, aren't fluidly um, moved through in conversation or even in methodology. And what I got interested in in these last really five, seven years, and then uh, helping leaders as, as a mentor and coach um, to actually realize that resolving earlier unresolved trauma helps the identity shift into something that helps the collective. So how does this moving from me awareness to a we awareness actually play out in practice? not just in theory. And that's what we began to actually refer to is how do we change as we learn? And how might we be completely conscious of the changes as they're happening? And that's the nature of participatory action research. And the outcome there is something called action confidence. That's actually the output of a mind-body awareness-based social systems change process, action confidence, that the the me in me or the me in you or Alyssa actually strongly senses the potential of something happening based upon your care, heart's intelligence, but also establishing communication to help others share cares. And that creates a level of rootedness in our commitment to do something new together. And that's leadership, right? That we're gonna commit to do something new together. You, you mentioned something earlier and um, used a concept that um, that I've been thinking about a lot recently. I mean, certainly with the pandemic, but also in my own research and scholarship, uh, which is um, the challenge of social isolation and and the all that comes with what happens when individuals are isolated and when they do not connect with and form meaningful, supportive relationships in community with others. And so, um, you know, without wanting to go right to the negative and the challenges and the problems, um, I'm, I'm really curious to hear you talk a little bit about how some of your work, and I'm, I'm even thinking about like the Peer Bridger program um, that Nayapers and Harvey Rosenthal has pioneered, you know, such incredible work um, that really seeks to sort of, uh, at least in part how I understand it, to bring people together and, and to combat social isolation and, and to value people for their own lived experience and what they can offer to others in, in similar experiences. So I guess, I, you know, it's not a question so much as I'm hoping to hear you talk a little bit about um, what you see as the dangers of social isolation and how we might address them. Yes, and what we have new in front of us during this time is new skill development using technology, right? 
So just a personal story on that to ground what, what I had to do when I couldn't go out and teach or travel and do what I do in the world. I said to myself and to my husband, I said, oh my goodness, I better get into a schedule of some sort here. Otherwise I'm, I'm not gonna survive this thing. We don't know how long it's gonna go. And so I invented and then experimented by doing, right? This is what we do in recovery and resiliency work. We experiment by doing, learning by doing. And when we imagine the many who haven't had the resources uh, to imagine what it would be like to use technology as a consciousness tool or as an aid for community uh, healing, that we have to assess who's best able to activate, right? The activation principle, the conditions for everyone to not just survive, but to begin to learn to thrive. And that's where the mutual learning comes in, where yeah. people begin to shift and change how they learn from technology or didn't, or maybe borrow something. And then the flourishing begins to happen. So that old Barbara Fredrickson strategy, right? Of, of surviving, thriving, flourishing is in fact what's embedded in the peer Bridger model that Harvey's got uh, in all sorts of places. Um, both here on the East Coast, but also in the West Coast. And when I continue to work nationally with folks who've been at the national level of peer leadership and the development of these models, Eric, what I most love about it and what I loved when I was in my internships and doing my clinical directorship, that that was authentic. This was not something that people learned out of a book. And so when we look at groundedness, as one of the ways in which social isolation can be shifted, we have to say we're all in this together. There's nobody better than anybody else. You look at all these DEI initiatives that have failed over the years, it's because we haven't actually internalized the fact that we're here on the planet and we need to live better in community. And as Harvey loves to say, you know, the hospitals cost too much money. How do we divert the money to the folks who are living on the streets? Right. And I'm yeah. one of those people who lives on the streets, just like the three of us in the call today. But how do we get out? How do we do that in a safe way? And technology is one solution, but I'm imagining the future here, Eric and Alyssa, that I believe that as people realize that being in nature and being in the wilderness and doing fun things to help things move the body-mind system as we navigate this stress of change is where we're headed. And I wish I could imagine together with you guys today something that social work schools could begin to co-create so that it's not just the classroom learning or the service delivery system, blah, 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 but that we're actually imagining a new world together. Well, so you got get, me going on that one. We get really good in social work at sort of thinking about interventions and treatments and service systems and professional, um, you know, applications of those interventions that I think sometimes, and, and maybe more than sometimes, maybe frequently, we lose sight of, you know, more organic, more grounded um, solutions for folks, which, which they have at their fingertips which communities have at their fingertips. And it's really more about connecting people together and finding community rather than coming in as outside professionals because we know the solutions 
um, you know, that that's that's a very different mentality. And I, I think, you know, that's a maybe a self critique here of the social work profession, but one that I think we're, we're generally willing to engage in that level of self critique and to think about what are the limitations of how we um, in the past, how social work has tended to think. And like you said, maybe social work needs to find some new ways to be creative and to you know, think differently. Along those lines, you've got this book. Um, we'd love to hear, you know, we could talk for hours and we don't have hours, unfortunately, but we'd love to hear about the book. Can you uh, tell us something about it? Yeah, yeah, but I just wanna honor what you just said that uh, the edge conditions of many educational systems are being uh, really opened for inquiry. And so I just wanna honor that. You're, it's not the only profession, social work isn't the only profession that's saying, who are we <laughs> anymore? Right, right. Thank you, yeah. um, So anyway, the ivory towers of it all. So yes, the, um, the book, thank you for asking. Title is Yoga Radicals a curated set of inspiring stories from pioneers in the field. And it was a commissioned book from a singing dragon press over in the UK. And um, it was really inspired by some of my early learning in social work school, which had everything to do with how does a leader move an idea to action? What are the ways in which innovation happens? And as I mentioned, my, my yoga-based journey, my meditation journey, my moving from me to we journey, I began to get excited and then invited to speak about how presencing practices helps social systems shift. And I had been an early enactor doing that uh, in the MHA and bringing in yoga and expressive arts, et cetera. But when it came to the book, what I was invited to do was to interview yoga innovators. That means people from both lineages as well as newer Western practitioners on how the impact of their personal practice of yoga meditation, embodiment 101, actually enabled a prototyping process for a project for social impact or community healing. And so this practice and process that I anchored in what I call the presencing approach is a mixture of the hero's journey model that we know from um, Joseph Campbell, but also the five pointed star prototyping process from the presencing institute, which has to do with listening to the universe. So imagine yourself in meditation or a walk in nature and a new idea shows up. And if you just let that idea walk on by, you're just doing drive-by you know, visualization. But when you begin to anchor it, practice it, involve others in it, that's how innovation begins to flourish, right? We're not just calming the body-mind, but we're actually enabling a creative process to emerge. And it was that part around social systems change and the dynamics within each of the individual stories that I wanted to collect so that others might get inspired to begin a practice as well. So although many of the yogis are part of our yoga community and the emerging profession of yoga therapy, it's also really meant for any individual who knows that there are other ways of knowing and then acting in the world. So it's, it's a bit of a spiritual book, 
it's a bit of a spiritual journey to read the book because it is anchored in esoteric systems of yoga therapy and meditation and the stories are life lessons from people who stuck with it and so there's this whole impact of there being something that is benefiting us as humans when we persevere with difficult personal practices and that lightens the load so to speak releases some of the old ways of being thinking and doing so that we can actually move toward collective action and that felt very social worky to me when i was doing it with everybody because they were doing it for the benefit of community well-being it wasn't just for their own personal well-being and so that's that's the um the offer of the book um it's just out so i'm still in that anxious state of is anybody going to like it not like it <laughs> well for those who are interested because we have a very uh diverse audience like eric had mentioned some are social workers some are just people listening because they turned on the radio and they heard our show so if people are interested in finding out more about your book like you said it's out where can they find it well, just go to my website, AllieMiddleton.com. There you go. It's right there. And it's also available at the local bookstore here in Albany. You can go online and look up Bookshop, which is the most equitable way to bring your books out. Uh, and of course, it's on the larger systems as well. Perfect. And for those uh, interested, again, it's titled Yoga Radicals by Allie Middleton. So Ali, I feel like there's so, like I said before, there's so much we could talk about. We could talk for hours, but you know, I'm wondering as we wrap up a little bit here, what, um, when you think about people listening to this show and what they might glean from your experience and your current work and your current passions, um, you know, what types of things would you, beyond the yoga book, would you, um, you know, sort of what, what kind of message would you want to impart on people? Well, I think this is a time of very deep personal and collective reflection for many people on the planet, Eric and Alyssa. And, and the listeners will be so diversely impacted by hearing how people actually learn to flourish and that even when we're feeling these potential negative outcomes of the change that's upon us and those things that are outside of our control, to always remember, and, and this is uh, an ancient principle, and that we begin to understand in the way in which social work education is taught, it's fluid and it is organic and we do share the planet. And so the open-hearted question is always, how might I imagine waking up every day and offering my best self to the world? And if I'm not feeling like my best self, love it up anyway. It sounds like a message of, of certainly of hope and resilience and you know optimism in a time when I think it would be, I know, <laughs> Uh, it, it's very easy to fall prey to worry and anxiety and concern and, uh, you know, pessimism, truthfully. And so, you know, I wonder if you, um, 
Is that an ongoing challenge for you to remain optimistic and hopeful in the face of, as you said, ecological disaster, political divisiveness, uh, you know, changing um, cultural values and beliefs in our country? I mean, there's a whole, a whole lot of swirling change, if you will. And I wonder how difficult it is for you personally to remain optimistic. Well, you know, you're tapping into the esoteric person in me, Eric, and, um, you know, we're trained early on. I had very deep and early spiritual training with a lot of masters, and it's all about preparing for the inevitable. And so however you imagine the inevitable, it's going to end. This is going to end. And you know what? This is the moment that we can remember that we are here together. And what do we wish to create together? So that's one of the ways in which I prompt myself. One of the other ways uh, when I get the encounter of something that might not be so comfortable is how could I be wrong about this? You know, a basic coaching prompt. Or then the other part, this is all about the neuroscience. How can I move from my old amygdala up into this mid prefrontal so that I can continue to shine the light onto what might next happen, even though I can't see it. And so this is this whole quality of being in the not knowing together and supporting each other as we learn to know from these more subtle aspects of our shared humanity. That's what I feel like the species is being invited to do. We humans call us. And in this time of the Anthropocene, do we want to lift it up? Or are we going to go off the edge? And each day, each moment has that synapse that we can move among in between. So it's like a dance, Eric. It's like that fluid nature of, of the educational process. But also, I'm aging now. I'm pushing 70. So it gets to be this amazing opportunity to say, well, how is it that I wish to be when I am not anymore? And how might I try something new today so that I could at least see that I've got a little edge left in me. Well, Ali, I'm, I'm sure your website has not only information about your book, but also maybe some content about other the other things that you were talking about today, because I feel like some people might want more information. So it, will your website capture some, some resources maybe and some other material for individuals who wanna, I guess, know more? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got a rich resource uh, page of the other, um, communities that I connect to. It also has my poetry book, which comes out of meditation and nature. And, um, oh, I don't know, I call them creative musings. So yeah, snoop around. It's still in draft form. I'm just being edged out by my friends and colleagues. They say, you can't just do your practice anymore. You've got to, you know, put it out. So that's the last thing, you know, it's so funny because I am an old shy person. I don't know if that's uh, hard to believe now. Everybody says, you're kidding. But, but, you know, when you go through developmental challenges and you meet them and you seek support to better meet them next time, that's a just about staying on the path. You know, these are the old practices of what else do I need to learn in order to move forward? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's scary out there, you guys. Of course, it's scary. But, you know, anything is possible. We can, we're, we can dream the world into being. Well, and, and in some ways that reflects, I think, some of that reflects your social work training too, that social work is about change. It's about social change, community change. 
individual change, all of it. Um, and it, you know, if, if you're in a profession that is about change, particularly of a social nature, one would hope that that's founded on some optimism and some hope for the future. So, so I think there's a, there's a through line there um, in your work and, and your educational training too. Well, hope is the operative word, right? I mean, it really is. And, you know, there are some ancient uh, ways in which people begin to have even something called faith in things yet unseen. And so if we can stabilize this physical body sufficiently and then begin to form social bodies, groups, teams, communities that have this shared care, then the intelligences of the heart and the mind begin to work together. And that creates this more integrated and dynamic way of moving together, dancing together, maybe even helping together, making change, maybe just loving each other better. Well, Ali, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. And I just want to spell your name for the website, just in case people aren't sure. So it's A-L-L-I-E. M-I-D-D-L-E-T-O-N.com. And the new book is titled Yoga Radicals, a curated set of inspiring stories from the field. That's right. Thank you so much. And if you like poetry, it's called A Wayfinder's Wanderings. Okay, great. That's that's the poetry book. Yep. Exciting. Well, Ali, thank you so much uh, for being our guest today and for sharing these ideas. Uh, you know, I think it's certainly a lot of food for thought. And for anyone who's listened to the show, hopefully this has uh, stimulated some thoughts in your own um, mind and heart. And, you know, maybe some folks will hit your website and, and peruse and maybe grab your book and kind of see where it goes from there. So this has been really, um, it's been really inspiring. Thank you. Just another example to show how many how many directions our alumni go, and it's really wonderful to have you on and just to share your expertise. And like you've had such a connection to the School of Social Welfare through teaching, through a research assistant, being a student, um, and all the work you have done since. Uh, it's really, really great for you to come on and just share this with us. So many of our students listen, and our other alums. So thank you for coming on to share this. You're most welcome, both of you. And I really appreciate the time spent and shared space. Yeah, come back anytime. So you've been <laughs> listening to The Social Workers here on WCDB Albany. I'm Eric Hardiman, and I've been here with Alyssa Lotmore and our special guest, Ali Middleton, who has a book which is entitled, let's see if I can find the title here. The book is entitled Yoga Radicals, A Curated Set of Inspiring Stories from the Field. Thanks, uh, Ali, again, for being our guest. And for all the listeners out there, we hope you'll tune in again for our next episode here on The Social Workers, WCDB, Albany. You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB, Albany.